to see you. There, I got to tell you, there are Sundays, more Sundays than not, thankfully, when it just feels right and it feels so good to be here. And uh, this is definitely one of those Sundays for me. Good to see you guys. So I wanted to tell you first off that uh, not this past week, but the two weeks prior to this past week, Pastor Ian, Dick Morrison, and myself happened to be over in Bosnia for two weeks. And we had a chance to visit with the church network there. This is a relationship uh, that's been going on now for a good 20 years, I want to say. And uh, so we've been over there, and we were so encouraged to see how encouraged they have been and are right now. Uh, I don't know that we've ever, uh, at least in my experience over there, found them to be as unified uh, and as full of hope right now as they are, which is saying something because of how poorly the country itself is doing right now. They're the worst economy in Europe. Um, you know, you, you, you still travel through the different cities uh, and, and you see uh, the bullet scars and the mortar scars on the, on the high rises in Sarajevo, for instance, from the war back in the 90s. Uh, you still see that. In fact, uh, Morgan Freeman had been there the week before we arrived. He was over in the town of Srebrenica where, uh, to, uh, to fill the, film a documentary that I'm told is going to be airing in the fall. Uh, but in Srebrenica back in the early to mid-90s at some point, the Serbs had come in, rounded up 11,000 men and boys and gunned them all down, buried them in a mass grave there in, in, in Srebrenica in the countryside of, of that town, that city. This is the sort of thing that remains for these people, and you find that it's always kind of a, a tension beneath the surface, or it's, it's, it's kind of a backdrop as you're just in conversation. Um, even the younger generation right now is finding that uh, if they have the wherewithal to move, that they can find uh, better opportunity for advancement elsewhere in Europe, um, and so they're leaving the country also. And yet in the midst of that, the light of Christ shines and in large, large part from this church network uh, in the cities of Sarajevo, uh, certainly Yaitza, um, up to Sansky most, Mostar, um, Varesh, uh, Breza, all these different places. We had an opportunity to make our way to some new cities. We were thankful to do that. Um, but just wanted to really communicate greeting to you from them. They are aware of how we pray for them, and they depend on that prayer. And so, uh, God be praised, and let's keep praying. They pray for us. And I wanted to mention to you also that uh, we, we were down, uh, Dick and Ian and I were being led uh, by Mladen Tomacic. He's one of our missionaries that we support here as a, in a, as a church, and uh, so Mladen is, is driving. We get into the city of Mostar. We're supposed to have lunch, and we were lost. And so I'm thinking we're doing pretty good because it's four guys in the car, and Mladen actually stops to ask for directions. And so there's traffic piling up on both sides because there's a guy on his bike, and he's kind of got his head in, our, in the window of our car, and they're talking in Bosnian, so I don't know what they're saying, but they talk for a long time. I mean, the cars start to pile up behind us. And finally, you know, Mladen, who's a pretty charismatic personality, he's spoken here from this platform before, 
Uh, guy looks like Daniel Craig with a little bit of facial hair. James Bond, okay? So just imagine Maladin. And so Maladin kind of jerks his head like this, like, okay, I got what I need from you. Rolls up the window. He turns around to the three of us and he says, that guy, I do not know what he'd just say. <laughs> and I'm like, the first thing I think is, like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, we're five minutes. You, you were getting directions. But, but seriously, the, the second thing, and this, I'm honest truth with you this morning, the second thing that came to my mind is, I wonder if West Shore Free Church says that about me when I preach. That was the second thing that came into my mind. That guy, I mean, heaven forbid, you leave here today, and that guy, I do not know what he just said. So with, with that in mind, I want to be abundantly clear. Talking about perseverance today. Perseverance. And we've all got stories we could tell, and we've got stories we could tell that are current in our lives right now about the need we have to persevere. Perseverance. There is a verse in Hebrews 10, verse 36. Hebrews 10, 36, and it says this. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Perseverance, that's the theme. That verse is the premise. You need to persevere. That's what, you know, for those of us who are, just tell me what to do and I'm out of here, I'll do it to the best of my ability. Well, that's what God says. You need to persevere. But how? Well, that's the next phrase in the verse. The way in which we persevere is to do the will of God. That's the how. But why? That's the third phrase in the verse. So that we will receive what he has promised. Those three things. Okay, so I've got these in my, in my hands here. Do you know what these are, right? These are snowshoes. So I'm going to show you the bottom of one and, and the top of another. And you can see that they're pretty big. And they've got this. This is where you put your foot. And they've got teeth on the underside to kind of help you grip a little bit. And you walk on top of snow with these things. And these are going to become relevant here in the story I'm about to tell. Um, but it been about, I don't know, 20 years ago. And we've got a team of students. They were all female. It was an fem all-female group. And um, we woke them up at about 4.30 a.m. on a very cold February morning. And it, this was completely unannounced. You know, none of them had set their alarm clocks or anything like that. Um, we got them together. We had all the snowshoes ready. Uh, got into the van, we drove to a trailhead, and we're going to head out to a destination called Tea Lake. And Tea Lake was however many miles away. We got them up to the ridge line, about a mile up the ridge line. But here's, here's what you need to know about snowshoeing. Um, the, the, the closer you are to the front of the line, especially if you're first and the trail is unbroken, if there's been a fresh snowfall of two to three feet, let's say, and the trail is unbroken, then the closer you are to the front of the line, the harder you have to work 
And in particular, if you're the first in line, you have to work very hard to just break trail. And what we wanted to do is give the girls that day an opportunity for about a quarter mile each to break trail on an unbroken trail. So it's hard, and I can tell you this, it's the only time I've ever been cussed out <laughs> in my life. I was cussed out by one of my female students, <laughs> lo and behold, and she really got after me, and I just, you know, it, it's to let you know how hard it was, and how much perseverance, how much endurance it was taking the girls that day to get to where we were going. I still remember her cussing me out, looking at her, and, I, and when she was done, I smiled and said, okay, you get another quarter mile. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was mean. Well, you know, that's, that ain't the half of it. All right, so, we, so we're, we're up there, and there was this other gal, this one gal who was tough. And she wasn't just tough, she was a servant, and she was a leader. And I had heard from her that she had been captain of the women's soccer team at this college down south called Messiah. And I, I didn't know much about Messiah in those days. Um, but, but I looked at her and I thought, yeah, you can, you can handle you know, the kind of servanthood that you want to give on this trail. And so what she did was she went second all day long. And so we were just switching out girls one after another to go a quarter mile. But she went second all day long. So she's working real hard. We get toward the end of the day, and I know where the destination is. I know the lean-to we're, we're shooting for and kind of how close we are to it. But none of the others knew. And so here's this gal who hasn't gone first yet, but she's gone second all day long. She's worked hard. And I said, all right, it's your turn to go first now. And she's like, all right, you know. How do you feel? I feel good. All right, well, then let's go. And we got about 100 yards down. I said, all right, you still feel good? And she's like, yeah. I said, all right, start running. And she's like, you know, she giggled. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. Said, let's go, come on. And she starts running. And she's kind of jogging, and I'm like, you know, you're not going fast enough. Let's go. You know, I'm suddenly feeling like maybe this is a moment. I've been rested all day because I was last in line the whole day. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, let's, let's, let's go. And, um, you know, so she's running a little bit faster now. And I'm like, you're still too slow. Come on. And she's, you know, now I'm not hearing anything. And so finally I... Um, you know, not looking to be a jerk, <laughs> but I ran around her and said, here, just keep up with me. And at that point, she's, she's really huffing at that point. And, um, and then I hear her start to sob because she had just exerted herself physically that much. And eventually we come over a little knoll and there's a lean-to there. We kind of collapsed into the lean-to and we had a good conversation there. It was something of a, I think, a life-changing moment for her. And lest you think that I had the last word, by the way, we were doing an exercise just like that later on in the semester. At the very end of the semester, full packs were running. There's no snow around, but uh, we're running down uh, from Avalanche Pass down to Marcy Dam. We've got a quarter mile to go. And we've left everyone else's way behind us on the trail. She's right behind me on the trail with a quarter mile to go. And she says this to me. I'll never forget it. She says, pick up the pace, old man. 
Pick up the, I was 33 years old. Pick up the pace, old man. Anyway, she definitely got the last word in. She was tough. Perseverance. Perseverance. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Perseverance, and what is it? Just the persistence that just hangs in there and that somehow, at times, we're mobile and the call is to push through whatever it is that's in front of us, this mountain, and who knows how steep it is. We can't see the top, but we've got to reach that thing somehow. Other times, it's like we're on the mountain, it's all we can do, we're hanging on by fingernails. And we don't know if we're going to end up letting go. Forearms start to cramp up. I can't do this anymore. And it's hard. Perseverance. It's not so much a, a, a list of things. It's not a process. Okay, here are the steps you take in order to persevere. It's more that there's a list of stuff in front of you that's just hard to live with. And you've got to push through that anyway. At least that's how I think it was for Paul. You can go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6. And there what we're going to find is Paul kind of giving that list. He says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path. This is verse 3. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God. See, he's a servant, but but he doesn't know how hard he's going to have to work, and he doesn't know exactly when the, the end is going to come for him. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Colon. You know, syntax, colon. And then he said, the first thing is in great endurance. It's perseverance. It's the first thing he wants to talk about. Perseverance to handle all that will follow in perseverance. And then he starts in with this list that's so long, you know, in troubles, hardships, and distresses. That, that's, that's right where we're at. Isn't that true? Aren't there troubles and hardships and distresses in your life so often? Right now? We could fill time for a year with each of us just taking a turn at the microphone, sharing what it is we're having to to confront and deal with and work with and, and press through in our lives right now. Troubles, hardships, and distresses. Then he says beatings, imprisonments, and riots. And I'm thinking to myself, I I don't even begin to know what that is. Beatings, imprisonments, and riots. There are a few men I talked to or kind of heard from, was listening to. Even over this last trip to Bosnia, they know what that means. Guys who are held captive and even tortured during the war in Bosnia. Paul knew what that meant. But he goes on from there, and he talks about hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. I like to think that I work hard. You know, I'm spending myself for Jesus. 
okay, that's kind of a relative thing. I probably don't work as hard as I want to believe that I do. I have a sleepless night, maybe, I don't know, two, three times a year, maybe. Hunger, I don't begin to know what hunger is. I live in the United States of America, and I don't begin to know what hunger is. It goes on from there in his list. He just keeps going. Purity, understanding, patience, and kindness. You know, these are the things that, 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 that I want to be as I persevere. Yes, Father, I, I want to be pure in my thoughts. Help me to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I want to honor you with what is on my mind. Understanding, yeah, Father, help, help me to be a more understanding person, uh, a more empathetic and, and sympathetic person. Help me to be patient and to know what it means to wait well, to not just kind of cash out and, you know, I'll wake up when the trip is over. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to be alert and to have the kind of faith that's kind of waiting, you know, on, on, on tiptoes because God is going to work and I don't want to miss it. I want to I wait well, so help, help me to be patient as I persevere. Um, you know, help me to be kind. I'm a kind person. You know, I've actually been told here in this church, you know, now, Nate, you're taller, you have a deeper voice, you have this heavy brow, you know, and so from the angle of the lights, you know, a lot of times the people can't see your eyes and you look like you're mean. <laughs> I'm like, what? you can't tell me that and then expect me to get up there and not be self-conscious. You know, so every now and then as I'm preaching, I actually find that I'm having to kind of go like this a little bit so that you see my eyes and then you're not scared of me. I mean, what? I, I want to be a kind person. <laughs> so help me, Father. And he goes on from there. The Holy Spirit and in sincere love in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown. Paul encountered that. He had this thing where uh, he was pretty well known among the churches. I mean, he was writing them letters and so forth, even when he was in prison, and so they knew him, but that there would have been people in those spheres who would have thought to themselves, oh, Paul, he's so popular, he must be proud. And so all these other people like him, I don't like him very much, and I'm going to set myself against him. And so even though he's known, I'm going to regard him as unknown. And even though he comes across as genuine, yet whatever, I'm going to regard him as an imposter. And Paul's like, you know what? That, that's true about me and my ministry, and that's true about others in my group and others in the church and the leadership and so forth. And you know what? All, the only way to respond to that is to just keep going forward, to persevere and love anyway. And so, dying, and yet we live on, and beaten, and yet not killed, and it goes on from there. Poor yet making many rich. Having nothing yet possessing everything. 
There's more in that text. But those are the sorts of things that Paul is pushing forward into and through to define his ministry. Perseverance. You need to persevere. That's how Paul was persevering. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, well, what's the will of God? What's the will of God? Two chapters after Hebrews 10 there, in chapter 12, I think two of the best verses, in fact, these two verses, I want to say this about these two verses, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, that I don't think there are two better verses to sum up a Christian worldview in the entire Bible than Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Maybe Romans 12, 1 and 2, but I like Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. It always comes back to Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Love those verses, but it tells us what the will of God is. Deal with your sin. Every day I have to deal with my sin. If I get to the end of my day and I haven't uh, confessed and repented, you know, before I hit the lights, I'm in deep trouble for the next day. And I might not even get a good night's sleep that night. But but that I, so often I don't, I don't do that. And it's just me being lazy or, or foolish or forgetful or I'm too tired. It's not enough of a priority, whatever it is. But too often, I don't deal with my sin. And I need to every day. Throw off the stuff that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And run, it says there. Not walk not loaf, not cash out, but run. Doesn't mean sprint. You know, it's going to have to do with more of a marathon. But it does mean run. And it means running a race that's been marked out for me. And I don't necessarily get to call the shots on where it is that I'm going. Because it says there, the verse actually says, the race has been marked out for you. Not you get to mark out the race. So, okay, sometimes I have to swallow hard and say yes, Lord, to that. But then it says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the author of your faith. The grace you have experienced has begun with Jesus. It was not you turning to him. It was him turning to you. He is the author. He is the author. But he's also the perfecter. He's the one who sanctifies, to use a little bit bigger word there. But he's the one who makes me perfect. You know, sometimes I get maybe a little bit flustered because I keep hearing this, this phrase, well, I'm not perfect. Well, I'm not perfect. Well, I'm not, you know, and in our culture, there's definite pressure to have to at least appear to be humble. And so we, we, we tend to say, well, I'm not perfect. Well, I'm not, you know. As Christians, wouldn't it be better if we said, well, I'm not perfect yet, And it's not that I'm going to get to perfection 
solely on the basis of my effort, even though Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said to me, be perfect, period. (laughs) What? What? But that he is the perfecter, and he is the one bringing me to that place where the day will come when I will be perfect. It won't happen here on earth. But he's going to make me better and better. He's going to make you better and better. He is perfecting us. And the day will come when we'll be with him face to face and be able to say, hallelujah, perfection feels so good. You know, it's not that I know everything, but that the sin has been cleaned out and I can understand now best and perfectly what it is you're saying to me, God. I get that now. He is the author and the perfecter. Just another few verses about the will of God. This is in 1 Thessalonians 5, it's verses 16 to 18. It says this, Be joyful always, pray continually, rejoice in all, sir, give thanks, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you. This is straight up. And it says this is God's will. But it's hard. It's hard to always be joyful. I think I need more work in that in my life than I sometimes wonder. And I don't know if, if God would say the same, but I, I see the need for more genuine, constant joy in my life. And it says pray continually. Not, not that you have a never-ending list of petitions necessarily, but that you are walking our days with God. You know, we know what it means to be uh, from that old hymn, in the garden with Jesus. So that hour by hour, we're conscious of his presence and that when we are in need or we're turning to, to someone to, to, to say something, you know, we're turning to him. And to give thanks in all circumstances. That's super hard, isn't it? I mean, it's easy in some sets of circumstances to give thanks. And in other sets of circumstances, it's like no way the last thing I'm going to do is express gratefulness for any of that because I'm angry. And yet God says, in all circumstances. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Well, what what has he promised? Well, he's promised eternal life it says that right straight through the Bible. So many times you, you, you catch that. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 7 is one of my favorite. You can read that or scribble that down, read that later. Romans 2, 7. He promises eternal life. Another thing that he promises is that you will yield a crop in your ministry. Go back to the parable of the sower. Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8 is a real good place to go for that. Parable of the sower. And... You know, I forget, uh, you know, some of the seed and the first seed falls on the rock and I, I think it's dried up. Or, and in the second seed, maybe the ravens come and they eat it and, and, and so it doesn't take root. Uh, in the third seed, um, it takes root and it grows, but then it gets choked by other weeds. But it's the fourth seed that we want, right? We all want to be defined as fourth seed believers in Jesus Christ, And it says there in Luke 8 that as 
a fourth seed person, you're persevering in life, and as a result of that perseverance, you're going to have a ministry of a hundredfold, or whatever the number is there. But that your ministry is going to spread, that's the point. That's one of the things that God promises when we do his will. Your ministry will be effective. Another thing, character. It says in Romans 5, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that our suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. One of the things that God promises when it comes to perseverance is character. You persevere through that which causes you to suffer and you get stronger and better because of it. And it's a reward. It doesn't feel good all the time. But it's making you better. It's making you more like Jesus. And then the last thing, one of the last, I mean, he promises many things. But one that I just rejoice in is in Philippians 3 when it says, eh, just the promise that your body someday is going to be perfected. I'm like, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm sure looking forward to it. Right? I mean, you, how long did it take me to like, lean over and pick up my Bible? You know what I'm saying? Perfection of body, mind, heart, sinless existence forever. All right. So I want to tell you a story. Uh, it's found in the Bible. And open up, if you would, if you're not in your Bible already, uh, turn over to uh, Revelation chapter 2. Just four verses. Revelation 2, verses 8 to 11. It's the church in Smyrna. And you need to know about the city of Smyrna back in those days. The city of Smyrna, by the way, still exists on the west coast of Turkey. It's the city of Izmir. You look in your, on your map and you can find that in the atlas. Back then, they were big and beautiful and proud. They, wanted, they had the reputation for being first in Asia. They were the best city in Asia. And they were always, you know, kind of up to bat to plead for, you know, can we build a temple, you know, for Caesar? And, you know, and this kind of thing. Uh, it's the birth, birthplace of Homer, actually. Remember the Iliad and the Odyssey? So this was Smyrna, the city. The church, on the other hand, was small and had a self-perspective that we're so impoverished, we're weak, we don't really matter. And I'm, I'm guessing that in this big city that the church of Smyrna would have at best, at best, I'm guessing, been this section in our sanctuary. You know, this would have been the size of the church in Smyrna. Jesus Christ wrote a letter to that church. And it was a powerful, powerful letter. Let's... Uh, Put that up here. And so this is what it says. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna. But by the way, the angel, when Jesus is saying, uh, and to the angel of the church, um, it may have been a literal angel. 
and that there are angels who are kind of assigned different churches to kind of just look out for them, you know, in the heavenly realms, and that they report on the status of this or that local church. Perhaps that's what's going on there. Or it may have been uh, metaphorical, and he's talking about, hey, say to the pastor of the church in Smyrna. Uh, But it really doesn't matter. You know what matters most about the identity of the angel is that whomever the angel was, it says in chapter 1 of Revelation that the angels resided in the hand of Christ. That's the point. Jesus has control. Jesus can do whatever he wants with the angels. And so he's saying here, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last. So he's describing himself. That's how he gets described, Jesus does, in, in, in Revelation chapter 1. The words of the first and the last, that's me, who died and came to life, that's also me. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not. You know He says, I know your tribulation. And this is Jesus speaking. He's speaking to a church. He's about to say, some of you are going to be thrown in prison. It's going to last 10 days. Maybe not literally. Maybe that's a longer time. doesn't really matter. But you're going to suffer. And I'm calling you to persevere. I'm calling you to just hang on. But you need to know as you go into this time of suffering that I know exactly what you're going through. And I am with you all the way. I know exactly. I know every detail. I know, when you don't know exactly what you're feeling, but you're crying, I know exactly what you're feeling. I know your tribulation. And I know your poverty. But you're... This church saw itself as so small and so unable. You know, it's the exact opposite of the church. The seventh church Jesus sends a letter to is the church in Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3. And, and to that church, he says, um, you, you see yourselves as uh, in need of nothing, And you do not understand that you are poor and wretched and pitiful and blind and naked. He says to the church, this church is the exact opposite. And Jesus is actually saying here, you're you're so rich. Your poverty is the kind of poverty, you know, the kind of poverty I talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. When I said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall inherit the earth. That's your kind of poverty. You're so rich. You're exa- spiritually speaking, you're exactly where I want you to be. And I am with you. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan, what? So often the persecution we endure, the stuff we have to persevere through, comes from within. Sometimes even from people we thought were friends. You've heard that expression before. These were the religious people. The people who served Yahweh in Smyrna, you know, at the synagogues. Jesus called it a synagogue of Satan. Not a synagogue of the Jews, but a synagogue of Satan. These people are opposed to me and everything my father is about. 
And it doesn't matter that they're trying to live by the Levitical code or whatever it is. It does not matter. They are a synagogue of Satan. But I know that to be true about them. And you need to know, Smyrna, that I know that. Okay. Next verse. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Isn't it amazing? He he doesn't say... Um, you, you don't have to fear because you might not suffer it. He doesn't say that. He says, do not fear what you are definitely about to suffer. It's going to hurt. But don't be afraid. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. I'm sovereign, even over him. But I have allowed him to take this course and he's going to follow through. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. One of the commentators I read, it was pretty cool. He he said it's not so much Satan doing the testing here. Satan is definitely tempting and he will tempt. But it's God who's using Satan to test the people. That's fascinating, I think. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. That's the third thing. Be faithful unto death. Jesus said, I know what you're going through. Jesus said, do not fear what you're about to suffer. And now Jesus says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I had a friend in seminary. He was a little bit older man from Ethiopia. He'd been a pastor in Ethiopia. And he had had an experience in his life not too many years before he was, he was there at seminary in Chicago And he was back home in Ethiopia. They arrested him for being a Christian. They imprisoned him. Um, I I have a hunch that they tortured him a little bit, but but he didn't want to talk about that a whole lot. It got to where uh, they were going to kill him. And so they brought him out into the courtyard. It's like the movies. They brought him out into the courtyard. They stood him up. They blindfolded him. Right before they put the blindfold on, he could see the guys with the rifles out in front of him. But it was after they blindfolded him and the sergeant, I guess, comes out and just like in the movies said, "Uh, do you have a a final request? And this guy says to the sergeant, yes, tell me a few needs in your family so that I can pray for them. (laughs) The sergeant told him And he took some time to just kind of pray quickly for this man's family. Sergeant stepped aside. He heard the sergeant walk away. And again, just like in the movies, it was ready, aim, and nothing. And after a while, the sergeant came back, removed the blindfold, and said, I cannot kill a man who would pray for my family. Faithful unto death. He didn't know he wouldn't die. Faithful unto death. You know, are we going to be that way? And I will give you the crown of life. Verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. You know what? Pop it back to uh, verse 8. I want to say one, just a few more things about verse 8. 
Do you see how Jesus describes himself there? The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. It doesn't say who was alive and died. It says died and came to life. And it says the words of the first and the last. Folks, hear me say this. Jesus was there at the beginning. He will be there at the end. He is sovereign and he is good. Past, present, future. He's sovereign and he is good. Beginning and end, alpha and omega. So I guess it was about two months ago and there's a family in this church and they had just found out that their little eight-year-old girl had come down with diabetes. Eight years old, type one. There's type one and two. We get type two and we don't eat as well as we should, right? I'm still on the run from type two. But type one, eight years old. And I had the honor to be bedside. I was about probably eight, 10 feet off the end of the bed down at Hershey Med when the nurse walked in and Tara is on one side. I'm looking at her, uh, the mom, and Tony is on the other side. I'm looking at him and brave little Anna is right in the middle on the bed and the nurse comes in and says to Tony, uh, so have you given her a shot yet? And Tony's like, no. And the nurse was like, well, there's no time like the present. And, you know, the question is, well, how, how often is she going to require a shot? Well, four times a day to start at least. Well, and for how long? She has diabetes. <laughs> okay. So here, here's the needle. Here's how to hold the needle. And I see... Little Anna kind of roll over like this, never shed a tear. Roll over like this. And the nurse says, you get about this much skin between your thumb and your forefinger, um, and, and you're going to want to try to put the needle about this deep. And I watched Tony give his first insulin shot to his daughter. And the look on Tara's face and the look on Tony's face and the look on Anna's face Jesus is there at the beginning of perseverance. Who knows how long that road is going to be? He's there at the beginning. The words of the first. And he's also the words, the last. I had a friend, and with this we'll wrap it up. I had a friend, in fact, this is a man, he was the former head deacon at my former church. And every time he would uh, come up to do announcements, he would share with us those verses in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, be joyful always, pray continually. And he would have the whole church join him in that. 75 years old, he has, he's dying of Lou Gehrig's disease. He's down at, I think it was Albany Med. And I went to visit him one day. There was no one else around. His wife had stepped out to go and grab lunch, I guess. Um, and so it's just me and him. He was a wonderful man, a dear man, a man who had been orphaned at an early age, actually grew up in the Milton Hershey School. He eventually got his PhD in mathematics. 
He became an administrator of some kind here in the state of Pennsylvania, I think. And now he's on his deathbed. His favorite hymn was Battle Hymn of the Republic. For mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. And this man had served in World War II. I remember that. And so I said, even though he's completely immobile at this point, he can't turn his head. He's prostrate on his back. And I said, you know, Ted, would you like me to sing Battle Hymn of the Republic? I would never have offered that had there been anyone else around. <laughs> but he, he blinked. And so I knew that he, that's, he would appreciate that. And so I began to sing Battle Hymn of the Republic. And as I did, I see, because he's laying down flat, the tears are going back into his ears because his head is on the pillow. And he's tapping out the rhythm with his feet. That was the only thing he had left that he could move was his feet. And he's tapping out the rhythm to battle him of the Republic. He did not die that night, but I believe he died the next day. Jesus Christ is there at the last. He's there at the last. And we want to remember that and be encouraged by that. So be encouraged. Let me pray. Father, thank you for an opportunity to remember your word, to remember our need to persevere. You tell us that. And to remember you and your son Jesus and the fact that he's with us, that he's there, that he strengthens us, that he accompanies us as we look to go through whatever it is, whatever kind of suffering, even the hardships, the troubles, hardships and distresses that Paul talked about. And Father, we're just so grateful. We can't do it without you. You call us to do something that we can't do without you. Thank you for that kind of grace that keeps us dependent. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.